Hey everybody, I'm Corey LaJoy. This is Stacking Pennies Gateway Edition. We're going to talk to the only guy that Ross Chastain didn't hit. Parker Kligerman's going to join us on the show. Excited about that. Dig into his first next-gen race experience. As well as we're going to get pit road boats and woes per usual. Enough stuff on there to talk about. The race was not necessarily one on pit road, but there's some good stuff. We're going to get into some Sonoma stuff, but we're going to break down Gateway and the wild weekend that it was. Stay tuned. This is Stacking Pennies. Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're out here stacking pennies. Hey, friends. Like I just said a minute ago, I'm Corey LaJoy, driver of the 7. Spire Motorsport Chevy Camaro, who had a very short week, finished dead last because we blew an engine. Hasn't been a good two-week stretch. But good thing I'm here, cheered up by a couple good friends. Front tire changer for Ryan Blaney's number 12, Ryan Flores. Hey, man. How's it going? Short stack of pennies. You had a race this weekend, too, this weekend, but we'll get into that here in a second. Also, Mr. Chuck Bush. Hello. And last but not least, Ice Cold Blue Mountain Tech's Jonathan Merriman. How are you? Thank you for joining the show today. It's good to be here. It is. We just can't find anybody to replace you just yet. You know, takes a lot to fill this seat. So, <laughs> there's a joke in there. Just, <laughs> I tee you up every week. Know, Nobody no, takes no. it. No, because we're real friends. We don't fat not, shame on this show. We don't fat shame, <laughs> and we also don't go for the low hanging fruit. That's too easy. We want to reach for the top. Because it's way in the branch down. <laughs> yeah. It was way in the branch down. Before we get into gateway stuff, uh, you sir, you flew up to Connecticut. Rose drove a SK modified at Stafford. Yeah. Why? Uh, why not? Why? Because we're racers, man. That's, That's what, what we do. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I had an opportunity to go up there with uh, Tick Mike, who you know, Tick, a couple guys. They own um some SK cars up there. Race for Keith Rocco. They ran a car for me. We talked about it. They sponsor the indoor midget. But yeah, a lot of a lot of penny stackers up there. A lot of people listen to the podcast, and really, a, really a great show they ran. I ran like complete crap. Uh, but I learned a lot and we know what to do bet to do, to, you know, when we go back, but man, with the small cars and the midgets and like street stocks and stuff, I feel like I can make up a difference when, when the car is not really good, but that was like a strong dose reality of like, <clears throat> if the horse on your own, if your horse riding don't want to go, it's, it's not going to go. And that was like the first time I've had that. And I'm like, man, there's not, I feel pretty hopeless here. You can whip old Bessie all you want. She ain't going to run. The other thing that that I that I notice is there's a lot going on when you're going when you're going backwards and getting past. When you're looking in your mirrors, the spotter's talking to you. I couldn't really hear him too well, and you're trying not to wreck, and then you're trying to, like, it's a it's a lot. So it's it's good to do to understand what you guys do. So I didn't want to necessarily compare what we do versus like a Friday night SK modified race to Stafford, but there is a big difference between guys who do it for a business and for a career versus guys that do it for a hobby. What like when yeah. you go up there and you spend time in the shop with Keith Rocco, the guy he's won a couple NASCAR national championships. Like what sticks out to you when you got when you go hang out with those guys up there? It's a totally different deal. Like he like it's not a hobby for him. It's that's all he does. That's his only business. So like cup racing isn't the only way that that people make money racing in this country. There's a lot of not only, you know, oval track stuff, road course stuff, everything, but sh- just on the short track stuff alone. I mean, you look at the third late model guys, they're racing for a million bucks this week. So there, there's a lot of that all over the country. What I realize when I go meet, like, with guys like um, like Keith Rocco, like Kyle Strickler, when, when guys that come down, like when Bloomquist comes to the seat shop, 
they don't have a, like they're, they're a little short because they're spread real thin. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into that stuff. So it, they, they just have a, a lot of irons in the fire, but they're all really talented guys that, that if they came down here to work on race teams could, could be a good asset. So you flew back to Charlotte. Yep. And then you flew back out Sunday morning. Yeah. We went and watched Encanto in the park. Everybody that has kids knows what that is. And yeah, flew back, uh, flew back to St. Louis on Sunday, which was electric atmosphere electric atmosphere truck were you even there i was not there i was watching it on tv but just seeing the pack stands from watching the broadcast it looked like it was a a good time from the moment we rolled in there on friday afternoon i'm like oh my goodness like st louis really went over and above uh just the the worldwide technology raceway wow, 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 itself went over and above uh the signage was great the f- traffic flow was great even though um, they had to close one lane of the tunnel for pedestrians. One lane was open for vehicles. So they had, they stopped you going in and they would let two way traffic out a little bit inconvenient, but they still made do with what they had, which made me think as I was sitting there, everybody wants to push North Wilkesboro. Nobody wants a cup race at North Wilkesboro more than me. But as I was sitting there, with there was walkover bridges and there's all this infrastructure this place was built in the late 90s that Wilkesboro doesn't have tunnels septic in the infield like from what somebody was telling me they had eight septic trucks back there when the cup cars raced like the late in mid 90s just pumping shit out of the racetrack literal literally pumping yeah. shit out of the <laughs> racetrack so when SMI says you know like hey we're probably not going to bring a cup race here cuz the infrastructure can't handle it it made sense to me going to a new venue with the cup cars, how much load 60, 75,000 people are like Wilkesboro can't handle it. I hate to tell, I hate to burst everybody's bubble. There's one lane in and one lane out of Wilkesboro. Maybe if we're lucky, we'll get a truck race. If you guys remember Kentucky, when the first time we went there, there was people still sitting on the highway trying to get into the racetrack when the race had started. Like they, they literally could not get in. It was locked down. We had to get a police escort in there and that's, yeah, I don't, I mean, as much as we love Wilkesboro and we're going to run there here in a couple weeks, I, I just don't know. I mean, there's a big difference between 1996 when they left there and now, you know, we'll be in 2022, 2023. Like, there's a big difference in what it takes to run an operation like that. Now, I never want to say never because, you know, you could upgrade 10 years down the road, upgrade the facilities and have something there. Potentially. Potentially. Sure. Would love it's, to see. I just like the fact that it's back and there will be racing there. Correct. Yeah. But let's not take away from St. Louis. First time the cup cars have went there. Uh, and I'll be honest, my bar of what I expected the racing to be was fairly low. I didn't expect it to be a good race. Um, with Phoenix not being a great race, with Richmond not being a great race in terms of just raceability, Gateway, on the contrary, turned to be a great race. No traction compound, no resin, no PJ1, a little bit of tire dragging in lanes two and three. And what do you know? Some direct sunlight. The track got pretty wide. Well, see, I I was telling somebody this. I don't think it was a great race. It was a good race. I thought the aspects of the drama that we had. What makes it, a good race? A good race? What yeah. makes a good race versus a great race? Coke 600 was a great race. That's an all-time race. Because you had, two, you had the guy in second spin out for the lead? No, because it was just it was good racing all day. You had you had something to watch in all four stages, right? Like stage one was kind of tame. I thought the racing there was good. Like I'm excited to go back. 
like I think we should keep going back. Yeah. But I think what put this race over the edge was the drama between the eleven, the one, the nine, and whoever else. I think that's what tipped, you know, worldwide technology over the edge. Not necessarily like, yeah, you know, oh man, like oh, this is crazy. And then you had the the overtime restarts, right? Like the the overtime restart also put it up there. But like I think there's a difference, right? Like there's different categories, like. Yeah, it was a hell of a weekend at, at, at Gateway. But to me, like, if you're going to say, like, great, to me, that's, like, an elite category. And I think that's what we saw at Coke 600. And I think a lot of that, what separates good from great is the finish. And I'd for argue sure. that you had you, you had a, a pass for the lead in the last yeah, no, you had two a laps. Great finish it was at, a great finish yeah, to that race. Finish. And at the end of the day, I think that's what matters the most. Because you heard everybody going into the weekend, oh, there's not going to be any passing. Oh, like it's going to be hard to do this. And then like Sunday, I was intrigued the whole race. Like normally if I'm watching the race at home, there's a point where I might take a nap just because I love doing that on a Sunday afternoon. But I was watching the whole race and I was intrigued the whole time. And then that ending just to me, Put it over the edge. Well, can we just talk about everybody wants to harp on Joey for what he did to William Byron at Darlington, but in the in the moment, Joey felt justified for getting stuck in the fence. He gave William Byron the bumper. Obviously, Joey wants to win it, quote unquote, the old fashioned way of like doing it clean. He had the opportunity to, and he didn't lay the bumper to Cobbush. Never even touched him. So Joey got the job done without using the bumper because he would have felt as though it wasn't even justified because Kyle didn't hit him on the contrary. If the caution hadn't come out for Harvick there at the end. He definitely that, uses the bumper. No, but would he have caught him? Because yeah, that yes, like yeah. that battle and that sort of cat and mouse game between Kyle Busch and Joey Logano was like that to me was fun to watch. Yeah. Well, what was interesting was Kyle got the fence off of two a couple times <clears throat> and he was really running the edge of the black there, running up the track and, and Joey was split down, and then Ryan was trying to wrap the bottom. Like, it was a three-horse race there for a little bit. But, yeah, I think, like, as fans, you know, everybody sees it a little bit different. But, like, the Denny and Ross drama and all that, that makes it interesting. But what makes it a great race is there's two champions of the sport racing each other's ass off for a cup win at the end. Like, those are, when you look at... Pulling out all the tricks. Yeah, you look at Kyle Busch and Joey Logano like really racing each other like organically at the end of the race. It was badass. Technically three. You had his brother thrown in there too. Kurt was yeah, in there had, in a little bit. Well, we had Kurt held up. But yeah, for them two to, to slide job each other and, and Kyle drive it in there and miss it and Joey cross him over. It was it was man, that that makes it a great race. And me. it was interesting if you listen to Kurt's interview after he won stage two when he said we got a work cut out for this we got our work cut out for us for the rest of the day, but you'll see us at the end. And then, lo and behold. Yeah, like, he did. I thought, he yeah. I'll be honest. I thought he was done when they pitted him there. A lot of guys uh, flopped that. A lot of guys pitted with like eight or nine to go in the stage. Some guys elected to stay out. Kurt Busch was one of them. Took tires won, or stayed out, won the stage. They interviewed him after the second stage. I'm like, oh, like that. he's going to run about 12th because it's hard to pass. Obviously, Kurt Busch, the old savvy vet, was able to uh, take them tires and drive – right back to the front for a top four finish. Oh, Curtis ain't messing around. He ain't. No. He's not messing around. No. Bro. Your cousin. I know. And he's going to Sonoma. Place where he almost won with the track bar knocked out of the thing in the old Finch car. Did he? Yeah, he was good. He was real good. But, like, when you talk about a good to a great race, I mean, strategy, drama. Two tires, four tires. Pat, like, no three tires. wide. 
Yeah. Wrecks. And and like cars dare blowing I, up. Dare I say it? Dare. I don't dare. love that the left rears are blowing and stuff's happening, but I do like that the cars are wrecking. We're not having green flag pit stops and we're having restarts and getting to race these things. Like I don't love like your situation or like any of the situations where, you know, there's a rotor failing or, or a tire failing, but I do like what it does to the race. Breaks it up a little bit. Um, short day for the old seven built bar Camry or Camaro, unfortunately. Um, we broke a valve spring. Um, just what it was. Happens big time auto racing. You will have that. The old Spire Motorsports team has a bit of the wind knocked out of the sails. Not going to lie with two left rear tires, three left rear tires. We trashed my primary backup and the 77 primary at Charlotte to follow that up with a blown engine. Uh, is Tough times right now, Chuck. Maybe the car's okay. Car's okay. So we got that to put in. Just put another motor in it and let it rock. Qualified good. Qualified good. It's funny just to like say, oh, they qualified good. Yeah, it's 19th. We're the 18th place loser. But I can't explain to you how hard it is to lay a lap down better than more than half the field in these cars. We've talked about this a lot. Like, where do you feel like your car should qualify every week? 30th. So you're, you're net 11 positions. and And that's something that you know, you can go win Xfinity races or win truck races, but punching above your weight class in the Cup Series is not real sexy, but it's very hard to do. It is very hard to do. We're going to talk to somebody here in a little bit, too, that can explain that a little bit better. Parker Kligerman's been a buddy of mine. I just always love talking to him at the racetrack. Uh, he has a great perspective because he sees it from the booth, sees it from the driver's seat, has had, to your point, success in the Truck Series, some success in the Xfinity Series, and is grinding on a Sunday afternoon just to, to you know, get an opportunity – anytime he can so that was pretty cool but let's not breeze over the Ross Chastain stuff I don't want to get too far down to it because I'll just use this analogy I feel like Ross Chastain is the modern day Ernie Irvin and any any fan this is a little bit before my time I didn't really follow Ernie's career but the more I read up on Ernie Irvin is Ernie was a mid-pack was a mid-pack driver driving for mid-pack teams but he had flashes of brilliance Right, people within the industry knew like you get Ernie a good car, like he's gonna have the speed and gonna get the job done. He gets that shot with Morgan McClure in the Ford Kodak car, had a couple poles, I think he won a race or two there, and then he gets a shot with the twenty eight, and then business picked up with Robert Yates. And with that being said, that's what Ross did, right? Grounded in trucks, grounded in Xfinity, gets a shot at Chip Ganassi racing, doesn't win there, but people see like, oh, Ross can get the job done. Now, what we're seeing, we're only fifteen races or however many races we are into the season ross is racing the pointy end of the garage like that is the tip of the spear of guys that he's racing with joey kyle bush denny hamlin kyle larson guys that have won championships before now ross finds himself in a good enough car to race with those guys every week and it is a bit of adjustment like those guys race different than the guys he's been used to for his entire career so i think that you know he was talking about these rookie mistakes he was really hard on himself after the race in his post-race interview almost two like, I think he was too hard on himself. Like, well, my man's hauling ass right now, racing against good guys. And when, hey, Tenny Hamlin, sorry you're not fast enough, shipped. <laughs> I think I think Ross was confused after that race because he went. He came on the radio, the, the cool-down lap, and said, hey, I'll handle my business. Just give them to me one at a time. He gets out of the race car. Nobody shows up. Denny doesn't show up. Uh, Chase doesn't show up. So I'm sure, like, he's getting out of the race car fully expecting for somebody to get a piece and nobody walks over except for reporters like that's got to be i was i equated it to someone today like when you're at a when you come to a stop at a stoplight like 
there's something satisfying about feeling the car lurch forward. And when it doesn't, it feels off. So, like, he got out of that race car, and he was like, he, I guess somebody coming to the car would be like, feeling the car come to a stop. It was just weird. So I'm sure that factored into his post-race comments, too. But, like, but you, can, you know we don't handle stuff it's, on the pit road anymore, Merriman. You wait, and you get your Twitter fired up when you get some signal. Yeah, that's when but, you have, that's when you take care of business. That's for a real man. That's where a real man handles their business. But a, you have to imagine, like, just being that amped up to know someone's just going to come get a piece of your ass on pit road and nobody shows up to the car. Like, yeah. either that's a next-level mind game of, like, all right, we're not going to give him the satisfaction. We're just going to make him, like, think we're going to wreck him every week. Or I don't know what's going on there. but His stuff happened early in the race. <clears throat> but I have a question. So his stuff happened early in the race, so they have time to cool off and go, okay, well, I'll get him next time instead of, hey, I'm going to get out of the car and beat him up. Right, like yeah, I think yeah. that I think that's what helps it. Because if you get wrecked on lap one and you have all that time to think about it, Denny brake checked him all day. Every time we so, went by, so the here's 11th. my question about Denny Hamlin. Right, Ross Chastain is a threat to win the championship. He's been one of the best cars all year. Great pit crew, won a bunch of races. He's in up front. All Everybody week. shakes their head when I say that. Not I've anymore. been saying that. not anymore. What do you mean not? You were one of them. Are, are you, you kidding one me? Bad week. No, I'm talking about not anymore because I think I don't think that they're going to let it happen. I, th- I think they're going to be a thorn in his side throughout nah, the. They'll forget about it. They forget about. They'll be wrecking it. each other. They'll be wrecking each other come playoff time. If if the playoffs started today, which, which they don't, let me remind you, which they don't. <laughs> so this is irrelevant. Ross, still, Ross Chastain's the point leader, and he's a hundred and twenty. Uh, I don't even know how to read this. There's a bunch so, of numbers on this. He's got a lot of playoff points. Chase well, has more points, but Ross has. The wins, so it's like four ninety to five oh seven or something like that in points. Well, where's Byron? I have a question for you guys. If it's Daniel Suarez that runs in the eleven, is it? Hey, tell Miguel we got to talk about that because they're not as threatened by him, right? They're not as you're not going to be if it's somebody that's not as new to the game and running as well as Ross Chastain. Are they as pissed off, or are they looking for a reason to be pissed off at this guy? Because he races hard. Like, don't get me wrong. When we raced against him at GoPro Motorplex 10 years ago, he was a pain in the ass to race against. Like, it doesn't matter where you're at with him. You're also talking about a Denny Hamlin that's got, what, three or four top 10 finishes all year? Granted, two of those are wins. So, like, I don't necessarily think it's how good Chastain's running in that situation. I think it's Denny's got a relatively okay car, and then he gets shipped in the fence for no reason in stage two for nothing. I mean, from the outside, like, it looked like he just shipped him. It did. Now, that it's still a learning experience how hard you have to move guys at what point in the corner before they move out of the way, right? What we saw was obviously the one gets in the left rear of the 11 and the 11 overcorrects and it sat in the left rear bump stop and tank slapped it. And also, can we just give a little quick attaboy to whoever fixed the 11 car because that thing was destroyed. Fixed that thing in five minutes and at least made it the entire day. So Yeah, kick. good on them guys. Good job, boys. I don't – like I said with the, with the Joey Logano-William Byron thing, the retaliation won't show itself or manifest itself in one big shining moment. Ooh, it will I be. It, to, though. it won't. <laughs> never does. Never Ooh. will. No fists are gonna be flying. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, I'm not talking about Joey. Wait a minute. Joey. I'm not talking about Joey. I'm talking about Danny and yeah. Ross. I know, but you wanted to, but then we're sitting here talking about Hall of Fame, and all you can talk about is Matt Kenseth. Yeah, well, I don't want him to be 16 laps down, come out and. Some candy ass move that's like one that. Sh- that's one glorious <laughs> that's, uh, moment of like pick, go big or go home. Pick right, one. No, racing's one thing, but it's all it's all situational because at that point in the playoffs, right? Uh, 
Matt felt like Joey took him out of the playoffs, that he was going to take a swipe and knock Joey out of the playoffs. So it all depends where it's at. We still have, what, 10 races uh, in the regular season left. So there are so many factors that play into retaliation when you do it, how big of a degree. And it seems like everybody's down to play ball. Danny, even Jesse Mar- Justin Marks is chiming in. Oh, his his quote on Sirius was amazing. Basically, basically just said, "Let's go. If you want yeah. to do this, like oh, well, we will wreck a few race cars. Let's do it." But yeah. obviously, he he did say nobody wants to wreck race cars. Denny himself included, right? Yeah. Because it's it's impending your overall goal of yeah. winning a championship and getting playoff points. But why would you not embrace a rivalry? Because the TV cameras going to be on you a lot more. The all the stories going to be written about you. Like, hey, a little bit of feud is pretty for, good for this for a moment. When Ross was behind Denny and they were showing it and like Denny's like brake checking him and slowing down and like blocking, I was like, wait, is he trying to keep him from meeting? That's what I thought. Like, I was like, that that would have taken in my mind, like some next level, like he had to process that, like, because that happened last week with his car with Bubba. And then like, oh, if I do this, then maybe like I always say, don't think too much into how much drivers think about things. But I do think that that was thought about. For sure. Like, if he could have impeded him for three laps to yeah. let him not make minimum speed, that's also an instance where it's like NASCAR's looking like, okay, like he's not really wrecked and this guy's just messing with him. It's so like, you like, got to let him get like, Denny. Uh, hey, rules are rules, bro. Yeah. I, I have a question about this weekend. One thing that was different this weekend was, you know, practice, that 50 minutes of practice. Does that change your weekend at all for you? Uh, gives you some more seat time, learning a new racetrack. That was my first time at Gateway. It's pretty cool. Custom you guys make sure. changes where you prepare to like make changes. I mean, you can make faster. You, not really. We didn't make a whole lot of positive gains. I mean, here's the thing: like Steve Latart tells Dale Jr. Hey, Dale Jr. said, "Hey, Stevie, why don't we change a whole lot? We do a little sway bar, we do a little left rear spring track bar." Latart says, "We don't work for two weeks on the simulation and the simulator and the wheel force car and the shock guy to bring something we know we're going to change. Like you show up with what you think is the best, and a lot of the times." By the technology that you have available as a team, that is the best setup you have to present. So we might do a couple uh, clicks of sway bar arms, a uh, couple things in the rear dampers. But beyond that, like you're not making – whatever speed you unload with is relatively what you got for the whole weekend. So wasn't bad. We had some decent speed in our car. We'd probably shaken out um, – yeah, who, who's no 18th to 22nd, which had been a good day. Somebody else who had a really good day in his first career cup series race, Zane Smith filling in for Chris Busher, uh, P 17 outran the owner outran the owner. Also, he was backwards at some point in time on pit road. So, uh, he rebounded from a pit road. woe. but I will say this, Zane Smith is the top on everybody's prospect list. He's got the demeanor. He's got the look, he's got the speed. It's only a matter of time until we see, Zane Smith driving a cup car on a regular basis because he can get the job done. I also don't think there are many guys on that list who are cup ready. Himself, John Hunter Nemechek. Beyond that, I can't really think of anybody else. It's Ty Gibbs. The guys with the least steep learning curve. Zane Smith, John Hunter Nemechek, Ty Gibbs, and Noah Gragson have some would have a steeper learning curve to just learn how the Cup Series works. Um, I think, I'm, but they got I'm, the talent to do it. I'm impressed over the past I don't know six weeks with Noah's level of maturity. I don't know who sat him down and talked to him, uh, but how he's handled just himself post-race. Like, I mean, we were sitting last year talking about him, like, throwing punches with Daniel Hembrick on pit road and, like, just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But 
Him and Jeb really seem to be. Uh, yeah, can we talk about Chuck's a, band getting a shout out from <laughs> Jeb Burton and Charlotte? <laughs> I'm going to wreck the dog ear out of you. I think dog ear was what he said. Oh, I think it oh, was. That's yeah. what I heard. I know yeah. it was. It was bleep though, so yeah, you can't really yeah. know. I think I'm gonna it was dog. dog ear. It was dog ear. Yeah. Wreck the dog ear. They, they saw our last gig and like, you know what? They crushed it at that show. Like, I'm gonna crush your car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Chuck Bush's band's real big in South Boston. Yeah. Man, I think one thing that that's lost this weekend, and I I heard this today, is yeah, Almondinger sucked in Portland to start and yeah, ended dude. up winning that race. Well, more more impressive than that, flies to St. Louis, never saw the racetrack, never turned a lap, and ended up P10. That's crazy. With a, with a car that Ben Rhodes wrecked, you know, the first corner of practice that he took it out. Yeah. So that, Welcome that's to a, the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Which, did y'all get a chance to watch the Portland race? A little bit of it. Yeah. yeah the, the first like, part, he was the 16 was off the track more than he was on it. And I know it's one of those things oh, like. During, it's, the, during the qualifying laps. I mean, during the pace laps. He ran off the track during pace laps. Yeah. Coated the grill and grass. Like, it rained a good I bit out there. It. It's Portland. You know, shocker, Pacific Northwest. There's rain. coffee, coffee, but like that was a, that was a fun around. that was a fun one to watch. Anytime the Xfinity cars, like they've done it a couple of times, raced in the rain on the road courses. It's it's a fun show. It's a mess, man. It is. I know it is, but I enjoy it. It's like, not fun when you're working. It's a mess. Yeah, oh, I mean, I it Coda last year drenched. They should have had Justin like, Marks up there. He won a race at Elkhart Lake and rain. I'll, I'll just say I can do without more road courses on the schedule. There's plenty of other great ovals out there. I'm good with Proved it, it this weekend. Proved it this weekend. Spent some more time on the iRacing simulator, Corey. You'd probably be better. Anyway. I, I don't even care about – I mean, I'm <laughs> actually I finished in the top 20 and all, but like one of the road courses last year, so go f*** yourself, Jonathan Merriman. <laughs> um, Boom. <laughs> Roasted. But just as a viewer, I don't like – it doesn't do it for me. It might do it for some other people. And I when it say, rains, look, there's comers and goers, yeah. and that's fairly exciting. Look, there's I'll guys say off like, wrecking each other. Jesse Wuji wrecking a leader under caution. Sonoma is is appointment viewing in the Cup Series. Watkins Glen is appointment viewing in the Cup Series. The Roval has appointment the yes. viewing? Yes. That means you got you, you you, to mark it on your calendar. Mark it on You're your gonna calendar. You're going to tune in. Don't bother me. The Roval is in Road America. Do you know what that was? Those no, that's right. so we're just gonna breeze over that like we even, knew what that was. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a TV, it, yeah. even, oh. even it's a NASCAR thing. Every one of them in the Cup Series is fantastic. Look at the finish at Coda. Sonoma is always awesome. Like Watkins Glen. I'm still confused Look, about your appointment viewing. It, I stopped listening. It's to you literally a, it's a common term. I'll drive. I'll drive this home in in the sense that what got me to be a fan of NASCAR when I started like watching the sport and paying attention was the road courses. It was, it was watching Watkins Glen. It was watching when it was Sears point out in California. Like that's what locked it in for me because I was like, curb hopping cars coming off the ground, looking like you and Indy, but growing up in Charlotte, like you're surrounded by NASCAR, like growing up, like it's everywhere. You're inundated by it. So like, I'm like, ah, that's what those kids up in Concord and Harrisburg, that's what they do. And then, like, I don't know what it was that flipped it, but I saw a race at Sonoma. I was like, oh, this is fun. So dumb question. Does more road course racing like we're getting water down the Sonoma and Watkins Glen? Because, like, I, I no, always I thought of – I, I like, I always circled Sonoma and Watkins Glen as places that I wanted to win because I felt, felt like it was a new challenge with the team. Like, I – but now, is it watered down with the Roval? No, with I don't think so. Because if you go back to like the older iterations of the NASCAR schedule, like back in the '60s, '70s, early '80s, when you had Riverside on there, you had 
other road courses, you had more of that stuff out there. You had a larger schedule for part of that. But road course racing has been a part of NASCAR's yeah. DNA since the beginning. So I don't think by taking that, like adding more that waters anything down. Like I know that there's guys that like, that's not your favorite thing to do. Like some people may not like a short track. Like Dale Jr. was really good at super speedways. If he could have put 10 super speedways in there, he would have because he'd have won 10 races in a yeah. season. Six is the number. That's just what Six. it is. That's the right number. That's not even opinionated. Of That's like any right. of any track? No. Like if you take like road courses. I would say I would say if if I was building the schedule, I'd say five. I just told you what the right number was for six. Yep. Don't argue. <laughs> six it is. Yeah. That's what it is. I hate to, I mean I have no reason behind it. Six is the number. Well, that's what we do. That six is. six and a half. Yes. So don't add another one, please, because six is dialed in. Somebody else who's dialed in is Parker Clickerman. We're going to get right to him after the break. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys. Like I teased before the break, one of my good buddies is coming on. And I wanted to pick his brain a little bit. My man always is good with a pen, but even better with a steering wheel. Welcome to Stacking Pennies, Mr. Parker Kligerman. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, bud. I think this, this is a first. I've been a longtime listener. First time, time guest. Yeah. And, uh, you know, excited to get in here with the Stack and Pennies crew. Every conversation, there's guys like yourself and like Lane and Castle and guys that are like personalities and guys that have excellent racing IQ that I always leave talking to them. Like, why don't I have those guys in the podcast? And sure enough, uh, I thought about this morning, the other 47 guys that we asked to come on the show, they declined. But you, sir, <laughs> you, you accept the invitations. I appreciate you jumping on. That's a lot like my racing career. Every time I've ever been in the running for a ride, they're like, yeah, man, you're on the list. I'm like, all right. So like after five or six years, where exactly am I on this list? And they're like, well, you know, there's these seven or eight guys here. And then this one right here, and this guy we haven't talked to in like three years, but we're pretty sure he'd answer our call. And then there's you. And yeah, you're on the list, but we're, we're not sure you're not, you're not moving up anytime soon, man. And you have a great way of just explaining the grind. You do it on a, on a public forum. Obviously you're on NBC, NASCAR America. You're going to do a lot of the, you've been doing a lot of the NASCAR broadcasts, whether it be pit lane, just whatever you can do to stay 
relevant, and I, I think people don't give you the respect uh, that they that you deserve, unsung hero, just to try to like keep treading water by the only way you know how. But you got your first opportunity to drive a next gen car this weekend here at uh, where were we this weekend, Chuck? We were at St. Louis, uh, so. <laughs> We uh, it was nice to see you back. And the first thing I said, I said, "Welcome back to the show." I left out the <laughs> F word because it's eastbound down quote. But how did it feel yep. to be back to the show? First of all, that's the greatest quote uh, that anyone's ever said to me, possibly ever in the garage. And because the context was amazing, there I was standing after only getting to do four laps in practice. The car lights on fire. My team is taking apart the car that was lit on fire and putting together this backup that's obviously not going to be ready for like two days. I'm standing there being like, what am I going to do? I've only done four laps in this thing. And you walk up to me, you go, welcome back to the show. <laughs> I was like, that's the best thing anyone's ever said to me. I texted all my friends that I was like, this, you got to hear this quote. But uh, yeah, it felt like being back in the show, right? Like uh, initiation by fire, literally. And I really was excited about this opportunity, even though it came late Tuesday afternoon when Rick Ware Racing called me because I looked at the schedule and I saw 50 minutes of practice. And I'm like, my God, in this day and age, that is like a test day, right? Yeah. Like 50 minutes, you might as well just sign me up for a whole day. I'll figure it all out. Right. Uh, but I only got four laps of that. So didn't get to join you guys in qualifying, got in the race, knew I had a tall task. And man, I don't think, you know, like, I well, let me back up. Within the first 30 or so laps, I felt like I was pretty up to speed, maybe in like 15 or so, right? And then from that point on, I think the thing that really stuck out to me is like, I don't know if we have given enough precedence to how big a change the next-gen car has been for drivers in terms of how you actually drive cars and what you look at and what you, you know, trying to do behind the wheel to make speed. And I was talking to some people afterwards and I was like, the only way I could compare it to some other sport is like for the NFL, the last 40 years to be playing with a football that we know as a football. And then one day say, okay, we're not going to play the soccer ball, but you got to throw it and do all the same things. Like it would be different how you do that. And that's what I felt like, you know, just in 30 laps, I felt immediately in the next gen car, um, you know, for our race, like we, I, I wish I had the primary because I think that car was going to be pretty competitive. I, you know, and I, I think the Rick Ware racing guys did an, excellent job putting together that backup obviously it ran all the laps it was you know in that sense put together right i just think you know we probably as you know these cars are hard to set up in the track like they require that the field is so close they require so much to be so right so such little things make a huge difference that uh we were probably lacking a little a couple things that slowed us down and but overall very successful day run all the laps to uh you know figure out the next gen and be able to talk about it on tv because I, uh, my eyes were very much open from all the things I've been hearing from you guys, but in terms of experiencing, it was just amazing. Obviously it'll give you some extra stuff to talk about and give you more, give the fans a better perspective when you talk about it here in a couple of weeks, when it changes over from to, to Nashville to NBC, but you know, the meaning behind stacking pennies as do the listeners of the show, but it doesn't just apply to my career and my grind because we, we pick fun of like, welcome to the show in a negative connotation because it's not all it's cracked up to be. But then again, per your Instagram post, man, you you did this monologue essentially of talking about it's the pinnacle of stock car racing. You've had the opportunity to be in it. You've had you've had it taken away. You've been up three, four times trying to be in cars, trying to just get the shot one day, hoping to be in the position I'm in, or if not better, right? So mm -hmm. how do you stay motivated yourself? 
and while also keeping that light at the end of the tunnel of potentially being a race car driver, but also doing all the stuff you do? Man, it's, uh, it's not easy. And I would say two years ago, uh, so end of 2019 into 2020, I was pretty sure like my driving side was done. My cup ride was going away with the 96 and that was like the, you know, had been a, a four year process to get back to being in cup. Right. And like getting an opportunity and something I felt was growing and, and with Marty Gaunt, the 96 car, and we did 14 races that year. And really I felt like excelled when we showed up. And by the end of the year, we, we put together one of our best races by far at Texas 2019. And like we were running legitimately in the top 25 and was cracking the top 20 for a non-chartered car in the NASCAR cup series was a pretty big deal. So I felt like we were doing big things. They, you know, they had to go a different direction financially for the next year. And at the same time I had the, you know, Henderson Motorsports and the truck series that I've been racing for, for the last couple of years, they called me in that January around the same time and said, uh, we're shutting down. We're not racing. So within the span of like two weeks, I had no rides. <laughs> I was like, I'm 29 years old. I have no sponsors, no rides. Like, what am I doing here? I, I guess TV is the end all be all. And I did TV you know, initially many years ago, because I felt like it was a great way, as you put it, to stay in the limelight, to stay relevant, to, you know, grow my profile and hopefully parlay that into having more sponsorship, more partners and be able to get back in a car. And it just obviously has not worked to the level I hoped, but it's actually been a cool mix the last couple of years. So then fast forward to like mid 2020 and the 75 called me and basically said, Hey, we want to go racing again. And obviously I had nothing else going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm in. And from that moment onward, and I think you saw that when my, my post, then I made a pact to myself to just enjoy it. Right. Like it became less about this grind and what was processing. The, what was the quote? What's you that? Used? What was the quote you used? Oh, well that was eventually, I love this. <laughs> it's just the one I said to myself on the grid at Pocono, because I just, you know, I was surprised to even be back yeah. and I, I knew I was turning 30 um, the next month. And I was like, man, I, you know, this is really weird because as a kid, like you, you think it's all going to work out and you go into this thing, it's going to work out and you, you go about your day knowing it's going to work out. And then suddenly you have this realization, like it's not working out. And that's a really tough place to be. And you have two choices. You can quit, move on, or you can sort of lean into the idea of like, I'm just going to enjoy what I like, what I'm getting to do this. Why haven't you given it up yet? Ah, it's a good question. Um, because on that, from that point onward, it was like something like a light bulb went off. And I don't know, I, I don't mind saying this and I hope it doesn't come across like in a cocky way, but like I have never driven better in my life than the last two years. And it feels like if I get the chance to hop in any equipment, any car, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it five spots better than anyone believes it should be. I'm going to find a way to, you know, get to the front with something that maybe shouldn't be there. Or if it can be, I'm going to make it get there and I'm going to keep it there. Like it's just something unlocks. And I know like statistically when you get into your thirties, like that's where stock car drivers are supposed to be your best. And I really feel it because you have so much experience. You realize what's important, what's not important. And you just realize like you, you can see the bigger picture of how these races play out and you know, what, what you need to do to put yourself in position to be there at the end. And I think that's something that in my early twenties, I lacked, you know, massively. And I, I tell people all the time, if I was this driver in my twenties, I'd be in a big time cup ride right now. I just wasn't, I know it now. Um, but I am now. And so it's hard to give it up when, you know, it's going well and you're driving at a high level and you're enjoying it. And I'm, I'm even enjoying the bad days, but 
you know, there's so many more better days right now because I'm just sort of uh, grateful to be there. Man, there's there's more often than not, I tell myself, God, I love this on the bad weekends <laughs> than I do the good, right? Like that's about the only way, like as your car was burning on up yep. on in the garage area, you got to get out and just look like, I love this like <laughs> because you could be talking about it right because yep. or but instead you're at least the guy wearing the helmet watching your car burn up and then you turn around and get to do it the next day and i man i know you 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 know where you're at is such a tough position because you know i i've said this for years being that in the mid pack of the cup series is the most competitive hardest racing you'll ever do in your entire life and then to do it for a living and be you know your main thing it can be a grind. It can be excruciating. It can have small pockets of like, oh, that's, we figured it out, excitement. And then the next week it will shove you right back down to be like, no, you're not that person yet. <laughs> it's like, you know, I know that's a really tough thing. So I, I do get a little bit of a reprieve, as you put it, where like sometimes I get to just go play TV and watch it from the outside, right? And don't have to be in that helmet and think, you know, watch that car burn down and be like, oh, this is everything. But I, you know, I treat it, when I'm there, I do treat it like this is everything. Like there's there's no backup, there's no TV, there's nothing else out there. Like this is the only thing. And it's the only way I can do the job that I'm hired to do, right? If I get tired to drive a car, I got to be there for that team, for that car and nothing else. And uh, I will say on the grid this past weekend, I did have to look up in the stands in that huge crowd. And even though we were dead DFL on the grid, on the grid uh, sitting there, I was like, I love this shit. Pretty cool. <laughs> there is something about Sundays. There, there really yep. is, right? Because you work your entire life to get there, and staying there is a whole other thing. So, with that being said, I know you got a couple truck races on the schedule left. Going to Sonoma this week with high hopes, looking for a win. Is that a Chevy? It changed. It's a it's, it's a Chevy Toyota. We go back and forth. Yes, I think it's a Chevy this week. Chevy this week. So good luck uh, at Sonoma. But I got a couple more questions, so I don't want to just let you go. Yeah, because this is great. Yeah, yeah, this no, is great let's, stuff. Let's you, you articulate the mental component of being behind the wheel as good as anybody, which also comes from, I believe, just maturity. As you said, if you were the driver in your 20s that you are right now, then you'd be in a cup ride. Well, there's a reason why there's a lot of guys that are sitting on the couch because they don't have the mental capacity to sustain. So mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you look at or what do you think, like when you're watching somebody come through the ranks, whether it be like a Zane Smith's probably a good example, or guys that are just on the fringe of making it or not, even such as yourself, you're still grinding to try to get opportunity, hopefully. How do you stay locked in competitively, but also on the mental side? It's, I think that's a tough thing, right? Because there's so much out of our control as race car drivers. And that's one of the most frustrating things of this sport is that it's so competitive. And yet a huge portion of your success or failure is not, your own doing right at times. And so I think one of the things you get really good at as you get more experienced, as you become, you know, just older is that you get good at focusing on the things you can control. Right. And that's where I think my, my, you know, mental side has allowed me to enjoy this more is that I know like, these are the things I can control. This is how I'm going to focus on them, make them the best they can. And then from there, whatever happens, you know, if it's out of my control, I couldn't fix that. And like, as a kid, when you were younger, you were just like, no, then the world's against me or there's a black cloud above you and all this stuff. And you're like, no, 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 it's all BS. Like at the end of the day, it's you and you, what you can control and do the best of your performance. And then you can sleep well at night, right? Like when you go out there 
this past weekend and lay down that heater in qualifying that you did for the seven car. And then obviously had an issue in the race. Like you did your job, right? That helps you sleep at night. It does. And man, it's so fickle because if you feel like you left a tenth to half on the table, you are moping the rest of Saturday. Like it's funny what racing does to you. Like nobody would know. Like I was on a high. I was walking around. I had a, we went in the tour to Anheuser-Busch Brewery and I'm like, man, I'd laid me a heater and I qualified 19th today. Boys, what do y'all know about that? And it's like, no, anybody else is laughing about that. But like, you know that you didn't leave an ounce of speed on the table. Like you got you push that piece of 3,600-pound piece of steel as fast as that sucker wanted to go around the racetrack. So there is mm-hmm. like an inherent feeling of that's the stuff that makes you want to keep coming back for more. And It's like a good golf shot. It, it is, right? <laughs> Besides all the other bad ones you hit, it's that one right when you're on the verge of wanting to stop and load your clubs yeah. up and go home. It's like, oh, I love this shit. One <laughs> question I ask everybody new to the show is if you had to pick one car and one racetrack to race at the rest of your life, what do you go with? Oh, damn. Any car? It doesn't have to be like stock car or anything? Anything. F1 car, something you've driven. Dude, I would choose a V10 era F1 car at Spa. that lock me in. That would be, you, I could run laps in that scenario all day. My, my background of my computer growing up was a testing shot of a Jaguar F1 car in like 03 going through Eau Rouge and Radion and into Eau Rouge. And now my, my background on my phone for the last three years has been Eau Rouge with F1 cars going through it. So that's just my thing. Love that. And a good one, a good one we've had this season on the, on the show for guests is what is your most embarrassed moment at the racetrack? (laughs) Or most embarrassed. Uh, Oh, my Tyler pump size is easy. So Swan 2014 disaster year, worst, uh, one of the worst years of my life. We go to Martinsville have like we were running out of parts in those damn cars and i think i feel i feel bad going too deep in all this but long story short it was a really tough time practice was tough we had to qualify for the races we start dead last at martinsville and two laps in they check up in front of me and i like they i was acc- having trouble getting heat yeah. they accordion the up into three uh, are they accordion up into three on the bottom yes. and that's yep. <laughs> and i was trying i was having trouble getting heat in the brakes before on the pace laps and i was like all right just take it easy and my crew chief's like just take it easy man like we're screwed anyway and <laughs> And I lock up the rears and get stuck on the curb on the bottom. And I'm like the crew chief, I guess, like lit into the radio, but I wasn't even on anymore. And I get into the infield care center and my, uh, my PR girl sees me after she's like, Hey, I think they're trying to fix it. I turn her, I go, I just want to go home. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. Like it was the worst time of my life. So that, that would definitely, that, it, you know, people on Twitter like to post it to me whenever I do something They're like, like this bro. And I'm like, you don't realize like I'm past that moment. And it, I still laugh at it because it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. But um, they think it's like a dig and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm past it. But that was isn't it great when you get to the point when you're going to tell your kids one day, like that was the good old days, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like those were the good old days <laughs> when I was stuck up on the curb at Martinsville. Come on. Dead last in yep. the cup race. Yep. What made it? What would you have, what would you give to have that one back? Maybe not that one in particular, but maybe the one after that, but that's man, that's all I'm going to get from you today. I really appreciate jumping on as always hope, uh, you know, continued success. Go win Sonoma this weekend, buddy. Good luck. Definitely. we got a stacked uh, field out there, so I'm looking forward to it. If I can win that one, maybe I'll open some doors. But good luck to you too, man, out there, and uh, appreciate you having me on. It was good seeing you this weekend. Good. We didn't get to race each other, but maybe next time. 
maybe next time. Hope to see you out there. Bang doors from Parker Kligerman. And, uh, yeah, thanks for jumping on Stacking Pennies, buddy. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Gotta love talking to my buddy Parker Kligerman. We're going to break down... Some pit road boats and what was my other buddy, Ryan Flores, front tire changer of the third place finisher this week. Fourth. Y'all, was it fourth? Yeah. Oh. Well, I'll take that back. Kurt got us. Did he? Curtis yeah. got you at the end? Chuck's cousin? We had a woe. Took us out of it. I saw that. Left side, what happened there? Uh, came came around on the left side, and when Graham jacked it up, the jack went up and then fell back down a little bit. Um, Why does that happen? There's a lot of stuff that goes on with those jacks. Like, they're... People don't understand how, you know, how much resources, how much time goes into developing those things. And Explain that because the 99 broke a jack on the left side, a stop about halfway through the day. Yeah. I mean, Braxton, you know, had broken a jack earlier this year. Remember that Logano couldn't drive off of it or he had to drive off it because they couldn't drop it. There's so many parts and you're trying to make them as light as you can. And everybody does different things, uh, especially now there's so much time with the jack man putting on the right front and the left rear tires of getting that thing under the car, jacking it, throwing it on, then dumping it. Like we ran into a problem earlier in the season where the jack, like picture this, the jack wouldn't drop fast enough. The plate literally wouldn't go down fast enough. That's something that you never think that would be like a limiting factor to a pit stop, but we're going so fast now that these are new problems. But, uh, but yeah, it was either, you know, you get air in the system or, or crap in the oil or there's, you know, finite things that are, you know, one in a hundred instances, but they happen in, in times when you're, you know, when it's time to go win the race. So felt bad for our team, but, uh, Ryan did a great job. We had a fast race car to, uh, you know, have a good points day, finished fourth stage points in every stage. I think we had, which was great, but the eight car wins the day on, on average hmm. little asterisk next to it though, because they had a penalty, uh, tight pit road, maybe, Hawkers texted me and asked me if it was the tightest pit road we go to. I did not have the measurements of it, but I said, man, it would be hard pressed to be tighter than Indy. I think it was tighter. 
is well Martinsville's pretty tight too. I thought it was tighter than Martinsville. I it felt tight. Yeah. It felt really tight. I don't like Martinsville. I don't. I feel like when you guys are out against the wall, I think it's further away. Maybe so. Um, but we saw uh, Zane get spun out and almost hit. If you guys go on RFK's Twitter, Roush Fenway Kislowski's Twitter, there's a great video of him getting spun. Uh, the tire carrier from the nine was standing over the wall. Um, almost hit him. He got he got over the wall just in time. The 14's rear tire changer, the 45 almost ran like there wasn't even an air gap between his uh, heels and and the car leaving. So it was toenails. Uh, the 40. The, so they made a rule. NASCAR made a rule this week where you can't drive through somebody's you know the car behind you pit box since the Denny and and oh, Joey really? deal. They made a rule. Um, where you it's impeding their pit stop, just like if you roll a tire into it. And the 42 actually got it called on them driving through the 21's pit box uh, late in the race. They were all back there. And I don't know 40. how you even get in the box without driving through at least the corner of it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's something that's going to come up more and more. But man, it's just I such like a, it's I like such it. a different world that we're living in right now. One because we're getting a lot of cautions in these races. So it's keeping people on the lead lap, right? Long green flag runs and pit cycles are what put people lap down. So there's more people on the lead lap. There's more cars coming in and around you. Plus you add in the fact of two to four tires this week. So cars are leaving at different times and it really makes pit road an interesting place. Um, the, the team that was P2 this week was the 18. They had a backup, uh, AJ Rossini. IndyCar guy. IndyCar guy. So um, it's a guy that they poached from from Penske at the beginning of the year. He actually worked out with us this offseason. He was a IndyCar tire changer at Penske, and Gibbs Gibbs um, recruited him from you know away from Penske. Young guy, old guy, younger guy. Um, they recruited him away from Penske to have some more depth at their place, and also to you know those games are played where they they want to take your people, so you don't have as much depth. It's just like any other professional sport where they. You know, try to take people to to disturb teams, so you don't have as many options. So he is a backup tire changer over there, but they also um, let him change tires for Ganassi, Alex Pillow. But he was going over the wall this weekend for Cobbler. Yep. So from the way I understand it, he can change tires for the IndyCar team. You know, whenever he wants, but when NASCAR needs him, that's his that's his main focus. So yeah, they let him. They put him in on the 18, and they went P2 on the day and had had a couple good pit stops. All right, who led the weekend in time? So, as we said, the eight and the 18 and the two are your top three. One one big thing that just lets you know how competitive is how competitive it is on pit road is last week the three-car lights out at the Coke 600, right? They average a 9.7. They P1 by far. This week they're P20. I don't know what happened to them, if they're adjusting their car, what it is, but it's each week, man, it's, it's week to week, but those guys are still uh, P3 for the year. The one car is still... P2 for the year and the 18, they're all within a tenth of each other, but the 18 is your leader and, and the top five staying pretty steady, followed by the nine and the 11. So those five guys are still staying up there and uh, it still continues to be one of the most competitive places at the racetrack right down there on pit road. Well, it's no surprise that the 18 finished in the top three the last three weeks. The one is consistently a front running car. The guy that runs up front, they got good pit crews and match. Yep. The combination of not doing rear window adjustments, um, those guys have it down pat. They're getting them stops every spots every stop. Go into the baking a cake of having a successful day, and those guys got it rocking right now. What else we got for pit road boats and woes? Cole Pern making a comeback on the box this weekend. 
breaking news from Bob Pockers coming back on the 19th of uh, Martin Truex Jr. His number one engineer uh, has a wedding, so they're going to pull old Cole Pern out of his ski resort up somewhere in Canada and drag him out to California. Cole Pernicus. We used to talk about him as like an evil character from X-Men. Cole Pernicus. Yeah, he uh, he is like the evil scientist, mad scientist, because he certainly knew how to make a race car go fast, took his ball, and sailed off into the sunset. Sonoma, Sonoma Pit Road, um, a weird one where it's kind of split with a turn in it. Uh, there'll be some new challenges like we saw in Coda. People have trouble getting their front tires out because of the camber, and you try to run a little bit lower there. So it'll be interesting to see um, – how that all shakes out, what the strategy is going to be, and uh, how this race is going to be won. Are these wheels less hot, like for the high they, braking Yes, places? they are less hot. Yeah, um, for sure. Where you've had, you know, in years past, where you tape your fingers, that that's not as much of a deal anymore. One thing that is new this year, like this weekend, there was a lot of brake dust, and it gets stuck to your gun because the magnet's in it. Hmm. So that that's something that's a little bit different. Is that, but, what, is that when we see the nuts get rolling down pit road no the magnet isn't the main thing that holds it in it's the o-ring but yeah if you come off crooked or your o-ring's not quite you know those o-rings can swell in the heat or get uh harder if it's if it's not hot out so everybody just learning that i've run my same o-ring since daytona hmm. so um but that's something that we're all learning together because you keep the same gun all year uh you keep the same they give you the gun before the race but you keep the same one because the sockets there's teeth on the sockets hmm. And if you don't engage that right and you pull the trigger, it'll grind the teeth off the sockets. Then it's hard to put on the next time. So if you see, like in between stops, I'm filing that thing, just getting all the burrs off it because there's a lot of time. And if it sets perfect or if it doesn't. So there's a, there's a whole lot that's going on now that, that we didn't have before. But, yeah, I'm out, the, yep, I'm out there with a the file. Mental image of you just sitting there with your little file just like, shink. That's it. Shink. And Waiting. Lurking and waiting. And and that's all it takes. One tooth not filed, Chuck. That's the difference between winning and losing. Mm -hmm. Look like you sitting in the battlefield, whittling Hone, away. Yep. Honing <laughs> his musket. Yes. <laughs> there you have it. Pit Road Boats and Woes. Uh, we're going to break down Sonoma a little bit and let y'all go right here on Stacking Pennies after this. Headed back to Sears Point this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Sonoma Raceway, we are cutting the carousel out, putting the short shoot back in. Uh, should provide some, some good braking zones and some exciting racing for y'all this weekend. Sunday, 4 p.m. on FS1. Chuck, who you got? I don't know. That, hearing about the Cole Pern thing, it makes me think, ah, Martin Shrex, he's won there before. And he's got, his, he's got a security blanket back. I know. Like, could that be a factor? I'm here for it if it is. Dude, when he faked out the four car that time. So good. That was I was so watching badass. that race. Yeah, so they had a code word. Like, I think it was like if he says pit more than twice, then it, it stay out. And, and the four was right on him. Pit, pit, pit. The four, the four was leading. Yeah, the four led, but he called it like going into 10. He sold it. He, he also put it. the crew on the wall, too. Yeah. yeah, they said pit, pit, pit. The four car pitted, yeah. to, and then. Like the next two pitted, like the first and third pitted. He stayed another 10 laps, another 10 laps. and got fresher tires at the end and <laughs> carved them up. Yeah. Gotta love some strategery. Strategery. Gotta love some strategery. And also, the way it works out with just lap time, tire fall off, there's always some good. 
tire strategy, fuel strategy there at Sonoma to be had. So uh, I think we're going to see some great racing this mar- this weekend, Mary. My favorite thing is Sonoma's when, I don't know, the was it the S's right there before you get into 11? When you drop a wheel, it's just a bunch of, like, it's just cars coming through just blind dust. It oh, looks, yeah. It looks awesome. It and does then, not feel awesome driving through the dust. And then Days of Thunder is your favorite movie. Your floor, uh, name yeah. right for them. Just, uh, and then Turn 11 is my favorite turn in all the motorsports, I think. It's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty tough one because you you're going so fast, and then you have to slow down to go. I mean, literally the radius of that corner is so tight. Uh, but Sonoma's fun, man. It's really flowy. Uh, you got to keep your momentum up. It's got some heavy braking zones. Um, so yeah, I actually never have raced on Sonoma when it hasn't been the carousel. I've only raced there twice, both of which times have been the carousel. I've never raced when it goes straight from four to six with the straight uh, with short shoots. That'll be a little bit of a learning but there's actually less corners to figure out so love that who's your pick who's my pick um i really do think martin truex needs a win he ran he had some speed this past weekend at st louis and he he's gotten around well he's had a knack for that place for his whole career no matter if it was with dei mwr wherever he's been he's hauled the mail um so i will go out on a limb a bit it's not a limb but i would say martin truex it's weird because like we talk about it <clears throat> you talked about it a little bit with parker it's like uh right when the sport runs you down enough you do something you're like that's why i do it mm-hmm. and like martin hasn't won or ha- hasn't had a great year and that you know the talks are that he might be retiring so if he goes out and wins and he goes i still love this and, yes. and re-signs you know that might be something that happens so it'd be interesting that's that's definitely that's definitely how it works and also hey Let's call it like it is. A lot of times when when Martin's back's been up the wall, whether it's a contract year or something like that, he finds a way to victory lane a little more often. So it's only a matter of time, I believe, until a champion in Martin Truex Jr. finds victory lane. And this weekend could be it. But before we go, we have some penny for your thoughts. So, Janie, what we got? Jason Hamilton wants to know, why do you think there was no tire fall off this weekend? And did that make it less racy like people are saying? There was a little bit of tire fall off. When they say no tire fall off, they're talking about a second, second and a half. But the difference between fresh tires was, I don't know, seven tenths, six, seven tenths. Then it kind of plateaus and you run that same time for the entirety of the tire. Um, Now, did you have less comers and goers with a little bit less tire fall off? Yes. And we also saw guys elect to stay out and take the clean air, like the 34 led some laps. Kurt Busch led some laps. So the once again, the clean air trumps tire grip um, just because the, the amount of speed we had at Gateway was enough to overcome having some fresher, cooler tires. Uh, so, But I also don't think that it made the racing bad. I don't think a softer tire would have made the race any better or any less than what we saw on Sunday. Dustin Worthy keeps bringing in some great questions. He had one this week, and he asked, with a mile-and-a-half racing being what it is in the new car, do you think Atlanta should run the mile-and-a-half package or the super speedway package? Uh, I think that we need to keep Atlanta the same. I think it was pretty exciting. Also, I finished fit there. They gave me a cake, so I'm trying to get me another cake when I go back. But, yes, there's some. I mean, it would be cool to go 200 and five 270 miles seven like we would see if we ran that uh 
intermediate package like we run with a short blade and 670 horsepower but i think that there's a combination of um you know some they like keeping it sub 200 let's just say that and we would be going substantially faster than that at atlanta if we brought the intermediate package there would drivers be more uh, hesitant to race harder if you bring a package like that no 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 because you just tighten the belts and you accept the risk before you, no matter where you go. That's just what it is. So there would be a lot more risks, or the risk would be higher uh, for flipovers, for big crashes, than there would be uh, th- when you're going 205 than when you're going 185. I mean, the difference in um, 20 miles an hour at that speed is is quite evident. So not because anybody's scared. Everybody would love to go that fast, 205, 210, but – um, I think NASCAR, is a, for a safety aspect, likes to keep it, you know, sub 190. And my question for the week is, when looking at new tracks to race at, like Portland, what plays into the deciding factor of which series will go? What makes a track cup ready? Um, there's a lot of factors into that. Ben Kennedy is the guy that asks, and he's the one that's pushing NASCAR continually forward with international races potentially, obviously uh, is in charge of the schedule in charge of the clash event that we had at the LA Memorial Coliseum. And it's just the whole thing. Like when you look at what worldwide technology raceway did this weekend, the amount of effort they put in to try to make sure traffic flow was doing good or, or was dialed in before we even got there, the activation in the infield, the activation outside the track, like it's all, it's all baked into the cake of what determines a track cup ready. When I watched the Portland Xfinity race, that does not look like a cup track to me. Like a cup venue is Coda. A cup venue is even Road America, right? Road America still looks like it got transported out of 1965, but there's some still like classy feel to it. The infield's nice and there's a lot of camping around it. Um, but racing on a, you know, a defunct airstrip with a couple corners in between with a little hut for timing scoring isn't where the cup cars need to go. And I think we need to keep that standard high. That's all we have. Well, I appreciate the questions, guys. Continue to throw them in. Hashtag Penny for your thoughts, either when we do something on Instagram or Twitter. Penny Sack of the Week. So I'm standing in uh, line for Pappy's Barbecue, which some of the best ribs I've ever had in my life in St. Louis are at Pappy's. Super good. Standing there with TJ Bell, my spotter, and in line about six people up, I you not there's a guy wearing a 1996 bush grand national champion randy lejoy shirt and i was like what are the odds that a somebody even has this shirt and b i see him in the line at the barbecue spot come to find out the guy saw me obviously i sent it i saw took a picture of him sent it to everybody in the group chat like look at this somebody's wearing a randy lejoy shirt that guy didn't see me take a picture of him but he tweeted at me and his name is paul I'm going to botch his last name, F-O-D-D-E, Fode, Fode. I don't know. Sorry, I botched your last name, pal. But you, sir, are the penny stacker of the week for continually supporting Big Randy LaJoy, 1996-97, Bush Grand National Champion. That's all I got. I'm over it, guys. I'm going to head into uh, Sonoma, give me a little nice glass of Cabernet, and uh, and grab some gears. Um, as always, we appreciate you listening. Like, subscribe, rate, review all the stuff, and I will talk to you all next week. Actually, I'm going to talk to you this weekend because we're going to do a little bit of spare change action for you. Make sure you tune into that on Sunday. We've been coming up for some good content. 
to add a little something something to your pre-race morning. Talk to you all next week. Bye.